Welcome to Red and Yellow, the podcast about all things to do with refereeing at grassroots level, looking at the laws of football, speaking to guests and trying to help you become a better referee with Adam Humphreys and me, Ed Connell. Hello, loyal listeners. It's Adam here and I just wanted to get in early on this episode of Red or Yellow to remind you to please, please, please send in your questions about refereeing or anything you feel like you might need help with in terms of your game. That's why we are here, to help you improve to be a better referee. We really enjoy getting questions from our listeners as voice notes via email or DM or on social media. Being able to help you is why we created this podcast and to offer our insights and to be able to help you by drawing on our experience. Added to that, if you are a very fit listener, then please don't forget to follow us on all the social medias. It's at Red or Yellow Pod. As well as remember to like and subscribe in your podcast feed. Thank you so much for being here. And let's get on with the show. Oh, hello, Ed. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Adam. How are you? I'm well. I've got a new, like whole thing in front of me which are like a pop filter because i got a new microphone for christmas yeah so i say happy christmas to you even and though you. it's sort of Merry christmas. now the 29th of december but yeah no it looks very fresh now you've now got a sort of podcasting mic and a pop filter as well so you look the part thank you very much in fairness my other microphone was a very very advanced microphone but for the you it was almost too advanced for what i was using it for and i didn't have the knowledge to make it good for what i do hence i got this one However, did you have a lovely Christmas as well? Did you have it I, full of love and peace and merriment? I did. Thank you very much. It was a it's, it was pretty busy and family filled, but um, I'm now back in London, so it's quite nice. Nice to be back in the calm. And um, wait, you're calling London calm? Yeah, well, it is when you've sort of been at home with sort of massive amounts of family, so and lots okay, of children. Yeah, so, yeah, it is. It is calm. So, and I suppose we should say to. Our listeners, um, happy Christmas to those of you who will be listening to the podcast after it's gone out. And Christmas. happy New Year to everybody as well, because obviously... 2023! Yeah, a couple of days' time, we'll have New Year's Eve and the New Year start. So, yeah, happy New Year to all our listeners. Absolutely, um, I, I concur. I suppose we should um, start by just mentioning the fact that um, Pele's died this evening. I don't know if you saw that on the news. Yeah, I, I didn't see it. I haven't looked at the news because I've been working this morning, but uh, I just saw a quick Facebook post while I was waiting for you to join. And yeah, RIP Pele. Yeah, um, and I've got I've got some interesting facts about Pele later on because I was struggling to find fun facts about well, that's uh, nice. law number nine. So we've got some interesting facts about Pele. But as you know, this evening is law number nine, which is entitled In and Out of Play. Isn't it the ball in and out of play? Or is it just in and out of play? The ball in and out of play. Ball in and out of play. Is Have it? you not read the law this week? Ed? I've got notes on the law, Adam. <laughs> and I think the general thrust of the correspondence of our listeners is that they don't think you prepare very much for these podcasts. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> I think that's a general thrust of Ed. I think you're starting a media campaign against me. No, I, I do my best to shield you from this correspondence because obviously it might be upsetting for you, but the over, overwhelming postbag is about, is Adam going to actually read the law this week? Is Just it? Saying. I haven't yeah. seen a single one of those messages and I've looked say. at all of our Instagram comments and questions, of which we had loads. Thank you very much. And I don't check the Facebook that much. I leave that to you, but I'm in charge of the TikTok. 
and we've had no comments about whether I've read the law or not there. But you will be pleased to know that this week I have not read the law. <laughs> well, that's not hugely problematic because it's about 10 lines in total. But the good news is um, one of the great things about getting more and more popular is we've been inundated with post bags. It's been comments. awesome. And yeah. we thank you very, very much. Yeah. People have responded to our appeals for um, people to get in touch with us about their comments, about lovely comments about the podcast. People are giving us five-star reviews, but more importantly, giving us discussion topics, posing questions for us. So the short law this evening allows us then to spend a bit more time than we normally would do on the post bag. Because normally we only have time for sort of two or three. Um, and so I thought, oh, I think we should start, Adam, because we have to make a correction. And I'm happy to make the correction because... Uh, well, I you think... know, right. So, wait, can I just get ahead of this, okay? So I get criticised greatly for not reading the law before we record. However, I've never had to issue a correction to things I've said on the podcast. Well, I wasn't going to make it a personal one from me. I was going to make it from the podcast, but I'm happy to make it from me because I think I probably said this and it went uncorrected by you, obviously. Oh, you right, okay. I knew I'd get dragged into it somehow. <laughs> but in... My uh, rush of enthusiasm to get through law number eight, which was, was it the start the start of play or something. I can't the remember. Start and restart now. of play. Right. Okay. Well, um, as we got towards the end of that, uh, we said, or I said, that you do the toss the coin. <laughs> Don't drag uh, me down with to, you, Edward. <laughs> toss the coin in order to decide. Um, I said um, the winner gets to choose which end they uh attack right and then we left it at that and we didn't say anything else about the toss the coin and we had at least well i know that two very observant listeners a, a, a friend of mine chris felton messaged me almost immediately as soon as Hello, you heard the podcast and uh another listener called trevor cripps on facebook messaged in as well to say he's from the gold coast uh, hello trevor he's from the gold coast um to tell us that we hadn't quite got it right when we said that and they're quite right because Toss the, well, I think what happened, to be fair to me, I got so distracted with you telling your story about how you don't use a coin. <laughs> <laughs> Stop and trying to drag me down with you, Edward. Put the whistle in your hand to, I can't remember what the phrase you used, which was well, you know, to create a bit of drama or something, is what you said. I got so put ice, on, thank you. It's ice breaking. So I got so put off by that, that I, I didn't actually say the law and fall. So obviously the team that wins the toss... Either get to choose ends or they get to choose to kick, kick off. off. Yes. And um, if they choose ends, then the other team kicks off. So, and if they choose kick off, the other team gets to choose ends. Simple as that. So, However, on that point, I would also say, you know what, minimizing options that you give the players isn't always a bad thing. So, you know, I think to be fair, I think I, I think I often am like, what end would you like to attack? And I just, I just give them a one. I give them that question to answer. And then they know that the other team's going to kick off. If they was to say to me, can I kick off? I'd be like, yeah, fine. But most players, in my experience, are just happy to choose the end and away we go. So there we go. So thank you that for our uh, observant listeners. Um, I suppose we should deal first of all with sort of any news that's happened since yes. our last Can I just podcast. quickly circle back? Can I circle yeah. all the way back to before your story about how you got something horribly wrong? Um, and, um, <laughs> and just say, in terms of the post bag, like, I think Ed and I both agree that 
we feel like this podcast is at its best when we're really helping other referees figure out their games and stuff. So, because we've got a lot of questions, that's awesome. Keep them coming. Don't think like people, like we've got too much to get through or whatever. We much prefer helping you and figuring out you know, the game for you and making you better out there than necessarily kind of laboriously going through the laws and stuff. So we do really appreciate the, um, we do really appreciate the questions and definitely keep them coming and keep active on our social media channels and stuff to stay engaged. That'd be awesome. So when we last recorded, uh, it was the England World Cup game, wasn't it? That yeah, it must have going been. on. Oh, it feels and like that forever the, ago. And was that the, that was when they get knocked out? Was it when we got we knocked, got knocked out? out, didn't we? Yeah. 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 So uh, obviously since then the rest of the tournament's played out. And I just thought it was worth mentioning. I think I posted something about this on our Facebook page about uh how well the referee did in the final. I don't know whether you saw the final or you I've read not any of the it, no. It was on at like three o'clock in the morning. So I think that the overall um yeah. reaction on social media and in sort of the media generally in the news is that they did an exceptionally good job. The Polish yeah. referee and his team did a phenomenal job. I, I think I read somewhere that VAR didn't get involved in any of the decisions. Wow. Um, and that included, I think, him giving, um, getting, giving penalties and I think uh, one, one simulation, I think, which he, did, which he spotted as well. But anyway, I think generally speaking, everyone was of the view that he did a brilliant job. And interestingly, I saw that he, um, was interviewed and he said that Pierluigi Colina, who we've talked about before, who's sort of considered to be probably the world's best referees and he's on the IFAB committee, rules committee, um, he came and saw him after the game and mm. the Polish referee said that Kalina was you know, his idol and Kalina apparently said to him, no, having watched you perform in that match, you're now my idol, which I think was really nice. It's a very lovely yeah, story, it, isn't it? Did a really good job. So um, that was good because we hear so many negative stories about referees and getting it wrong and all that mm. sort of stuff. I just thought it was worthy of mention that they did very, very well. I think also it's worthy to understand, like I think it also highlighted a fantastic um, point in terms of football refereeing and the way fans and media and stuff actually have a great bias in that because L'Equipe, which is the French sports newspaper, or it might actually just be a tabloid yeah, newspaper it's, in yeah, it's France. Yeah, sports newspaper. Um, they gave him a two and a half star rating out of 10, didn't they? Um, and it just goes to show that, like, it doesn't matter how good the referee is. Like, the general comment is he was phenomenal in that game. And um, it just goes to show that it doesn't matter how good you are. You just can't get around fan bias, like no matter what. And it, it doesn't matter what you do and how you do it um, or how good you are on whatever stage you do it, you are always going to be at the mercy of people who do not know their stuff because they're looking at it through the rose-tinted lens of their team. Yeah, I think I think objectively, sports journalists all think that he did a fantastic job. But it's interesting you mentioned that thing about bias because um, quite a few listeners got... Uh, messages on various platforms to ask us our view on what happened uh, on the 109th minute when Messi scored his goal for Argentina. Because and a load of substitutes encroached, did they? Exactly. Yeah. So as the ball's going in, there's a sort of freeze frame that you can see, which shows that, I don't know, two or three Argentinian players have encroached on the pitch to celebrate. And mm. that sparked a lot of people messages saying, 
should the goal have stood? Because this was the argument of the French media. The goal should be disallowed because there are players on the pitch, blah, blah, blah. And I think we should just give a shout out to some of the various people that did messages because we had lots of people messages expressing their views or posing a question. I think of all the people that messages, though, um, everybody was of the view, which I think we'll come to in a second when we discuss it, but that the, you know, the goal properly stood. Um, and we'll come back to the reasons that in a moment. But yeah, let's just mention some of the people because I think it's only fair that we should give a shout out to some people. So we had um, Harvey Kennedy messages, Ryan Stowe messages. Uh, oh, Ryan. Honest. I know Ryan. He's on the Gold Coast. Hey, Ryan. Yes, he did yeah. mention that. He said he's never actually, he thinks he'd been on a course together, but you never refereed together, I think he said. No, that's true. Um, he, actually, he actually got annoyed that I became the fittest uh, referee on the Gold Coast. And he then went and did the fitness test and tried to put that right. He's since done an Ironman, so I'd happily concede that he's probably fitter than I am. That's fine. <laughs> and just the last one, shout-outs. Uh, chat called Ben underscore Sol on Instagram wrote into us about this. Isaac on Insta and um, Mike, who goes under the twist name Victoria Guna, messages about this as well. Oh, and everybody has the same view. But, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, Adam, the law says about people encroaching on the pitch, but... Do you want to just explain why it was that the goal obviously stood and rather than the game being stopped? Well, like, if you take the law as read, it should have not happened because substitutes were on the field of play. However, the way I've only ever read that law and the way I would only ever apply that law is if substitutes are on the field of play and in active play. Um, like they're just not actively engaged at all. They're celebrating. And like, I, I'm not being funny. Like you've run the line to coaches, the amount of times coaches are stepping on the pitch when you're on the line or your fourth official or whatever, and you're constantly having to tell them to get off and, and, and not and, and, and stuff like that. You just like, if you used to stop the game every time something like that was to occur, it'd just be a terrible experience. And Likewise, you know, in a World Cup final, in any game, really, you know, one of your biggest responsibilities as the referee is managing the event. And in managing the event, stopping play, disallowing a goal for something as pointless as substitutes celebrating a goal as they encroach the field just before it goes in because they're excited is not managing the event. That's causing all kinds of problems for the event. He, he would have received so much more criticism for stopping play because of that, than allowing play to continue. And and it's just, I, I mean, I, I feel like it's such a non-event. I mean, there, there's two other like referee social media pages that kind of were like, it should have not been allowed because they encroached because of this law and stuff like that. And I just think it's, it's a, like, as a referee, the laws are there, but you equally have to be able to practically manage the situation in the best way possible. You have to apply the law in a way that protects the game, not that you're not a slave to the laws, you are a manager of the laws in the game and you have to apply them at the right times with the right amount of pressure in the right management technique, given all of the context of the game. And that's what the referee did extremely well in that situation. Uh, and and, that, and that's, that's what the laws keep saying about, you know, using the words of the discretion of the referee, because, exactly. you know, no one wants to see a referee disallow goal by Messi in the 109th minute, you know, right. at I'm the not time a fan. <laughs> of the World Cup final. Of course. Because, you know, VAR says there were two people three yards on the pitch <clears throat> as the ball was going to the net. So, and I think that's, I mean, I think pretty much everybody who wrote into us said, look, I, I know the law, but unless they're interfering with play, 
we don't want to see goals be disallowed for this at all. And what I thought was lovely, I don't know whether you saw this, but the the uh, there was a, an interview with the Polish referee where he's being lambasted because of this yeah. this goal. And, did and you then, see didn't what he, he show up a picture? Didn't he show yeah. up a picture of the French players doing exactly Absolutely. the same thing? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, I understand why the French you know, football supporters feel a bit of the grief, but I thought his response was fantastic, which is to show an identical picture that, you know, at the other end where French players had also gone on to celebrate as well. I also think that also shows an interesting point in terms of allowing referees to say say certain things in the media, allowing referees an element of media exposure. Like, I think it does still have to be heavily controlled and I don't think you need it for everything. And I don't think they should really be there to discuss decisions on the field. Um, but I think that shows the power of actually giving the referees a bit of a voice in the game compared to necessarily keeping them silent. Because like I say on the pitch all the time, silence allows um, dissent. And that's true in media as well. Like if the referees stay silent and the, the FA stay silent or IFAB stay silent or FIFA stay silent on things like that, then it allows more and more dissent to pile in into the space that is because they're going to fill that void with something. So, you know, no one's, I haven't seen a comment about it since really. I know time has passed, but since he did that, it was like, there you go. That's that. But yeah. Well, what's your, what's your view on, you know, because there's often pundits sort of say after a game, you know, what, if, if we're not going to have on-field mic'd referees mm. explaining why they've come to their decisions, why can't we have referees coming out after the game and doing media and explaining, you know, what happened? Even if it's just to say, you know, I've looked at it again and made a mistake, or this is how I saw it. I mean, what are your views on that? I mean, my views on pundits having any opinion on refereeing is they need to go and referee a game themselves, full stop. And then they can decide if they want to then expose themselves to the media scrutiny that would follow after their performance in a game. Um, but I, my, my opinions on it have changed. Like, I think referees would be very good at managing that situation themselves, like a bit of media training and stuff, and they probably get quite good at managing it. Um, I think also it would open up a bit of honesty. Like, you know, it, it'd be a brave referee to come out and go, yeah, I missed it. I'm a human. There you go. But I think it would actually help change the narrative against referees. That could be quite useful. But I think it's probably fraught with more problems than solutions, to be honest. Um, I think it could it could end up being overanalyzed. It could also open up um, referees to being influenced um, based on not like outwardly, but in the game themselves. Players could then use it against the referee in the moment and stuff. Um, I also think they might end up, the referees would probably end up reading and studying and looking at what other people are saying about what they did and things like that. And then that could affect the way they, they manage their games and stuff. I think there should be a barrier in place because referees need to be protected. Um, but I don't, it, it, it's difficult. I think the right circumstances, the right referee, I think makes sense. I mean, obviously the World Cup referee is in a position of power right now, like because he had an amazing game and everyone believes that and it was a perfect game for him um and so he's in a place of power but if if he was to have made a massive critical error and then he was exposed to the media there'd be all hell to pay and then everyone would just be analyzing that as well as the decisions as well as everything else and i think it probably yeah. would open the door to more criticism i mean i, I i'm more in favor of more transparency I, i've said before mm. that i think we should have referees mic'd up on the pitch. Ah, I, think it would, I don't know about I, that. I, I think it would expose the abuse that referees suffer. 
Uh, I think it would also help people understand how decisions are being taken. Because I think, yeah. you know, if you're a football fan watching and there's a VAR, and especially if you're in the ground, you, sometimes you don't know what the VAR is about because it's sort of, it's fine if you're sitting at home listening to them say, oh, it relates to that challenge that was sort of 20 seconds at the start of phase of play. And you're in the ground, all it says is VAR. Yeah. Um, I, I'm in favour of that. And I've said before, I'm in favour of, you know, the way that referees are mic'd up in rugby. And I know you draw mm. the distinction between them, but, and I just think that the, the, Giving, you know, the opportunity for referees to explain things just brings about better understanding. I get, I get there the are potential negatives from it. I understand that you know it would have an impact upon referees, and but I, I'm all for just sort of bringing about more transparency to, to help people understand how decisions being made. Mm. I think also, in all honesty, like relating this back to our listeners who will have their opinions on this, we're talking about global media we're talking about you know elite level refereeing elite level football yeah. here there's going to be different rules what i would say is if you're refereeing a game and you feel like you've missed something then transparency honesty openness should be the first thing you resort to you should admit immediately that you've made an error because that will humanize you in the eyes of every player in front of you that will allow the players to understand that you're doing your best and you just missed it and you're being honest about that they might be a bit annoyed with you in the moment but that's life and they'll move on and so like even like even though at this level we're talking about world cups premier league champions league whatever that's a, that has a different set of rules to what you'll be doing on the field every single week. And I think every single week, the more honest you can be with managers, with coaches, with players, the better your game control, the better your man management will be overall. I always feel better about myself when I admit to a mistake in front of people because I, I'm, I know I'm not trying to defend the indefensible of myself. And, um, and that always helps me have a much clearer mind when I'm refereeing. And I think it also helps players and referees have a better opinion of me, which in turn, when you come across those people again, makes you have a better game in their eyes. And, and that's always good. No one loves an arrogant referee. No one loves a referee that just shuts conversation down, that's not willing to listen to discussion, that's not willing to... And I'm not saying you have to stand there and take abuse. Um, and I'm not saying admit to things that you don't feel like you need to admit to, but it definitely helps bridge the gap if you do, um, if you are just honest, transparent and open at a grassroots level. I agree with that. I just think you, um, and I think we had some listeners sort of wrote into us before and they sort of misinterpreted what we were saying about honesty before, because I think that I agree. I, I, I'm i honest about things on the pitch and I, I think it's right to do that. I think sometimes if you think you've got something wrong, there's no reason why you shouldn't say that. And if you didn't see something, again, there's no reason why you shouldn't say I didn't see it because my line of sight was blocked. Whatever. Mm. I do think though that is probably something that, as a beginner, you might not want to be doing because as a beginner, you start saying things like, you know, I'm sorry, I've made a mistake. You've got to be able to then deal with the fact there might be some flat that flows as a consequence of that. And you yeah. might get a bit of aggro from people and suggest you don't know what you're doing, you know. Yeah. So I think it very much depends. You know, you wouldn't want to say that two minutes into a game and say, No, it depends on sorry. a lot of things. It depends on, um, it. like in that situation, sometimes I don't know can work better than saying I made a mistake. Yeah. Um, and it also depends on your personality type. It depends on your experience. It depends on the game you're in. If it's a really heated game, sometimes admitting to mistakes will only cause you more problems. Like everything in refereeing, just like relating this back to the World Cup final, 
everything in refereeing is context dependent. And that's how you manage a game. That's how you manage players. That's how you apply the laws. It all depends on the exact context of the game. Similar to the discussion we was having about, um, oh, what was it? Uh, oh, I can't remember now. Um, it was something... Uh, it was about like when to apply a law, when not to apply a law. I can't remember, but you know that like you you have to take in the full context of the game. You have to take in, um, you know, like you know, like take the seven second rule of goalkeepers. Like you know, they've got seven seconds to release the ball. Now, if they take eight seconds, are you really going to stop it? No. If they take twenty seconds, maybe. You know, like when do you call time wasting? When do you call? retrieving of the ball it's all context dependent and I I, I I thought it was six seconds oh you might be right yeah i think it is six seconds yeah all right sorry i'd like to issue an apology um for my mistake in well listen let, let, don't get into the habit of issuing apologies every time you get a red roll <laughs> oh, well, otherwise we're talking about honesty and transparency every See, podcast well i'll tell you what i thought it was seven seconds probably because i give goalkeepers leniency to that degree do you know what i mean um anyway <laughs> Should I do oh. another question? Yeah, golly, we, we yeah, let's go. Um, so this is a couple of questions that are from Trevor Cripps, who, as you said, is a 25 years of experience referee on the Gold Coast. Um, and it relates to uh, a couple of things we spoke about in last week's or last the last episode. One is he asked, uh, is there ever any, ever any situation where there is a contested drop ball? And I think oh. I know the answer. Uh, not, I don't, I don't think, think there, I don't, I don't think, think there anymore is anymore. There is. No, not anymore. I think co contested drop balls have gone now. I think, and it's from my analysis of the law, um, where there's a drop ball, players have to be a certain distance away. I can't remember the exact distance away, but I don't mm. think we have a, there are any circumstance anymore where there's contested drop balls because it's dropped to one side. Uh, and the other team have to be a certain distance away. So that's his first question. The second question mm -hmm. also related to the last law, which says, uh, if at kickoff a player kicks the ball back in the direction of his goal, mm. um, and the defender, who was probably the person to whom the pass was intended, lets the ball go and it goes back to the keeper, can the keeper pick is it the up? keeper allowed to pick it up? I've done my research, but I'm going to get your views first of all. I'm going to say no. What's your rationale for saying no, he can't pick Because it he wouldn't be able to pick it up from a free kick. So it, I think this all goes back to jumping ahead to Law 12, Ooh, Section on. 2, which is about indirect free kicks and infringements. Yeah. Um, and I think it all stems on whether or not it's a deliberate kick back to the keeper. That's, right, yeah, I think that that's, the, that's the key. Yeah. So if if it's obvious it was going towards a defender and for a reasons unknown. Or, yeah, yeah I, I don't have a problem so much with the gust of wind. The gust of wind, I think, is fine. That's not a deliberate pass back to the keeper. Um, or if he, or if he swings and misses, or I don't know. But... Mm. but that's obviously not an intended back pass either, provided it is a deliberate swing and miss, not a sort mm. of feigned. But my my bigger problem is, is is well, what happens if you know the the defender just simply sort of decides he doesn't want it? Let's go back to the keeper. Mm. It wasn't intended as a pass back to the keeper, was it? Well, the issue I've got here is the the word intended. 
you and I can't ever establish what is in a player's mind and the reasons they're doing anything. Like I can't read minds. And the word intention, this is one reason I hate pundits. Intention doesn't exist in the laws of the game. We can never actually establish intention. And you'll know this in your work. Like you can't, you can't establish intention of somebody's actions. You can only judge the action that has occurred, right? Yeah, but that's that. I mean, from a legal perspective, you assess someone's intention by looking at all the surrounding facts and, and circumstances, right? Exactly. That's how we do it. Right, okay. So the same way here, if it looked to everybody as though he was passing back to the defender, right? That was the intention was obviously to pass the defender. If the defender then sort of decides not to take it, I don't think that's an intended back pass to the keeper is my view and i i did and i wouldn't yeah, penalize the keeper pick it up i think i think two things here one i think what does the game expect like look at that like what would what would football expect i think they'd probably expect either or depending on how you sold it i think generally in that situation the game would expect a pass back um would expect an indirect free kick in the area against the goalkeeper if he was to pick it up, regardless of intention. Um, and then also what I would say is, look, if you can see that happening, I do this with every pass back that I see happen on the field. I tell the I tell the goalkeeper whether I think he can pick it up or not. And then as long as I've got ahead of that, I've got no issues. So I'm like, no, 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 no. Or I'm like, yeah, 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 take it, take it. That's fine, take yeah. it. And then, and, and from a goal, from a kickoff, you're going to have more than enough, um, more than enough time to probably at least vocalise what your decision is going to be. And then that doesn't allow the the, the, the space for dissent to come in. Um, I think that's it. What I'd argue is, again, with these kinds of things, these situations, the likelihood of that happening is probably greater than one in one million. So we probably don't need to worry about kind of like all these little theoretical intricacies that might occur in terms of that. You know, from a free kick, probably more likely to happen. But from a goal kick, passing a defender, getting all the way back there by accident, it's just not going to happen on a game, on a football field. Yeah, but it, I mean, I do think it was an interesting question, though, because, yeah. you know, these sorts of one in a million things do happen. And whereas well, with lots you, of laws, did you see the you video I sent you? The answer. Did I see, um, see the video which I sent one? you? Which I think one? it was Sheffield United or someone. The shirt, the shirt coming off. Yeah, a guy ran the entire length of the field without a shirt on. Yeah, no, I saw that. Yeah, I, that I was wasn't quite understanding what I was being asked to look at there. Oh, I just it, thought it was interesting. Like, oh, so, do you sorry. stop play? Do you stop play? Do you like it's a one in a million? He had his shirt pulled off by a defender, and then he continued to play. Yeah, what? What? I mean, I, I thought initially when I was looking at, I was thought I was looking at it from the perspective of had a foul been committed on him, and I don't think it had. Well, it has if his shirt's um, been pulled off, isn't it? It's a pull. Well, it's yeah, I'm not sure it's really pulled off. It kind it's of a pull. It, it, it comes up to put off his back, and he, he's more than happy for that shirt to sort to of take it off himself. To take it off himself. I mean, it would have um, been a penalty as well. Yeah, exactly. I don't think, and I don't think it was a pen, and but I think it was a yellow card for running down the pitch. Well, he didn't put his shirt back on because he wanted to make a point to the referee that you know to say to the referee, "You've missed a well, obvious foul on me in the penalty." Area. He never became active in play, did he? So I think that makes it a much easier decision. If you'd have become active in play, then what do you do? I think you have to stop play and give a drop ball. Tell him to yeah, get Yeah, I mean, what I would say is, obviously, if people haven't seen this, we post it uh, I'll, I'll on put our it on my Facebook page. Did we post we'll, it? Today? Yeah, I, didn't, I think we... Oh, oh, I, just I, sent, I, I, I know I just oh, sent it to you. Oh, I, I will post put it. On, it. Okay, we'll put it on our social media so you can have a look at what we're talking about. But yeah, I, I kind of 
thought, well, he he seems quite keen to facilitate that shirt coming off. And then he kept it off because he wanted to make his point to the referee and to sort of intimate he'd been fouled. And I didn't think it was a, a foul on him, but yeah, um, fair enough. I think it's probably yellow card for running about, not being a shirt on and running on along the length of pitch. Unsporting um, behaviour. Yeah, exactly. Um, but no, that's why I like these sorts of questions because it's great to, as I say, there are lots of questions we get where there's a definitive, yeah, no, there we go, it's law X, you know, part mm. four. Yep. Um, but not all these things are clear cut, and these sorts of things do happen. And I think you're right about it's about context, and 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 you're also right about expectation. And I think you make a very good point about what you say to a goalkeeper. I, I think the reason why this would never come up is goalies are so sensitive to picking the ball up when they're not sure, they just don't do it. So and I think in those circumstances, therefore it, direction it, it, from the referee, and therefore direction from the referee really, really helps. Yeah, and I, I I sometimes when, you know, because sometimes balls go back towards the keeper and some will say, Ref, it's a back pass. And, and it's as it's going, I'll say, no, you can pick that up. You're right. I think if you verbalise it, it takes away the mystery. But anyway, it's, I thought it was a really good question. So thank you very yeah, much, Trevor, cool. for those questions. Cheers, Trevor. Um, and can I do one more question? Yeah, we can do as many as you want. Time um, is time is our what's the word? Time is our slave. Time is on our side. I think is probably anyway, yeah. That's probably better. Yeah. Um, so uh, the Japan question we had from Scott. So Scott, I don't forgive me, Scott, if I'm pronouncing your name wrong. Lewa is how I'm pronouncing it. L i e w e h r. He messages on Facebook with a question about the Japan instance japan v spain where was the ball off the pitch or not i thought we'd come back to that adam that's okay when we talk yeah, about law, law number nine because it is the law mm-hmm. but um but wasn't that thank you scott because scott gave us a five-star review oh scott you're very a legend. nice things about the podcast which is really lovely but the last question i thought we could do with, uh, unless you had any more was uh daniel lane i think is his name messages on twitter i think it was to Welcome, ask daniel. us the ask us the question is 30 too old to try and make your primary income from refereeing? I think it was on Instagram, but yeah. Oh, it was Instagram. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we've just got so many social media followers. It's just so hard to keep up. <laughs> it's 30... is, we do. Sorry? We do. I mean, I know, it's get... awesome. It Did you awesome. see our last TikTok video? It got like 3,000 views. I know. and it was... That's your Christmas present, by the way. People know, very much what, care we about what you're getting for Christmas. We weren't even talking about refereeing. I know. <laughs> God, let's not let's not open that wormhole. <laughs> but, but what I would say, Adam, is we, our, our post bag is mostly from referees. But you'll know from having a look at the post bag, we get sort of uh, messages from just football fans generally, not referees, who actually say, you know what, I enjoy listening to podcasts, I enjoy listening to you chat about subjects. So, um, yeah, but it's not just referees who listen to us. So back to the question again, uh, is 30 too old to try and make your primary income from refereeing? Adam. Uh, <laughs> having, um, having spent a few years off and coming back to refereeing sort of at the age of 34, Five, I think it was 34, 35, 35, 34, 35, one of the two, 34 I was. Um, the difference in my legs is unreal. And in order to make prime, in order to make income, I mean, I don't know at what point you're starting, but in order to make it your primary income, like you're going to have to do like a number of games a day, like because you get 35 pounds a game. Like if you're talking about going to the elite level, um, probably I'd say, I mean, 
I know FIFA have FIFA have an age cap. You can't be a FIFA referee past the age of 40, I think it is. Um, right. But the UEFA don't have that because they're in the EU. And now England's out of the EU. I'm not sure where they stand because it's a, it's a human rights issue. Um, but obviously, FIFA's based in Switzerland, so you don't have to subscribe to that. Um, so UEFA got rid of their age cap. So you, technically, you can at any age, but to build the experience, to build the career, to build like you know, you're going to have to stay extremely fit and you're going to have to be extremely dedicated in a part of your life where lots of other things will be coming at you at that sort of age, like that 30 to 40 zone. Like, I'd say it takes 10 years to to get up the ladder easy. Yeah, um, I mean, that's what I was going to say. I think if you if you were sort of, even if you're just like a level seven ref, so you want to work throughout the pyramids, um, it's, it's a, I think it's a good 10 years to make it. If you were going to make it to the very top, I think it's, it's good to use. You're not necessarily going to get promotion every year, but also as soon as you get towards that top end, it's not a sort of promotion a year. You know, you no, might you go get bottlenecked of... big time. I mean, and this yeah. is in the UK. I think in Australia, like here in Queensland, I think you could probably do it a bit quicker if you were good enough. Um, yeah. But equal to that, like you have to have a lot of experience and equal to that as well here in Australia, there's not that much football to go around. So competition is quite brutal for those elite positions. Um, and there's an awful lot of very good referees that are kind of hit a kind of a glass ceiling almost. Um, you know, and, and just finding that space upwards is, is difficult because you know, the people who are there are very good and they're not going anywhere because they're very good and, and they, they're established and stuff. Um, yeah, and, and if you want to just make it your primary income in terms of doing grassroots football, uh, you're not going to get paid enough every week, I no. don't think, um, personally. Uh, you, and you don't get salaried until you're in the EFL, I don't think. Yeah, or, and I was going to say, I, th I think that the only, you're only going to be able to make a living out of it if you are sort of, sort of the UK, uh, championship or premiership, I would say probably referee. I mean, assistants yeah. as well, probably the, in the prem. But I know that assistants in the championship don't get paid particularly well. I, I hope I'm not wrong about that. But it's just interesting. I was just Googling whilst we were sort of talking about this to look at some of the ages and, and the youngest referee that we've had in Premier League history. And having just sort of said about, you know, 10 years, whatever, to get there, um, Michael Oliver. I was going to say it was Michael Oliver. Yeah. Refereed his first Premiership game age 25. Yeah, but he probably started when he was 13. Yeah, no, I was going to say, he probably did start when he was like, you know, early teens. So I was really late. Whenever you can start. Is it 14 where you can start refereeing? I think so. I, think I mean, I didn't start refereeing until I was about 24, 25. Yeah, no, I, I, I didn't start refereeing until I was, um, yeah, uh, well, into my thirties, in fact, before I started refereeing. Yeah, and so I and I felt I felt like I'd missed out on a huge ton of experience um, in terms of lots of stuff that I just hadn't gone through. Um, yeah, and you know, like I had to, I, I had to stand. Luckily, I, I, in most kind of social situations, I do stand out. But I had to make sure, like I, I stood out quite a lot, just so that obviously SXFA knew who I was, knew I was committed, because I, I needed, I knew I needed to put it together quite quickly in order to even have a shot at getting onto even the conference. Um, <laughs> And I still struggled to get there. Um, 
for many reasons because and a lot of it is also out of your control like climbing that ladder like you've got to get the right assessor on the right day you have to get the right number of assessments in you have to get the right game as well like if you just get a nil nil ball draw or a one nil two nil win with not a lot to do you can't get the the amount of assessor points you need to go past level four to go past level five and then and then you're going to start what I know, I mean, I know referees have like manipulated games in order to get better points. And then you're just like, Whoa, what's going on? You know, like I was, you just, you just have to, yeah, it's a lot out of your control. Um, that being said, you can definitely make a lot of kind of extra cash from refereeing and yeah. it can be very good for you in that sense. Um, and it can definitely help. Um, but the commitment levels are huge, you know? Yeah, like, I mean, I think not, that, yeah, go on. Sorry, I was just going to say, I think, going back to Michael Oliver again, I think his his sort of progress is pretty remarkable because he started at the age of 14 as when you can become a referee mm. and made up to the Premier 11 years. But that that's, you know, he was probably refereeing lots and lots and lots as a sort of teenager. Um, um, I just don't think you could start, you wouldn't, I don't think you'd make it 11 years starting at age 30. No, and just honestly, just fitness-wise, like I know there are some very fit people out there and stuff, but I consider myself fitter than most, but uh, you know, just the recovery in my legs, the recovery, like when I'm doing three games a weekend or whatever, and granted they're all very high level, it's difficult, but you'd have to be doing high level games. Um, And also you don't get the experience you need uh, kind of like level four, level five, you do a bit more, but in order to become a referee, you just don't get the the amount of experience you need in a quick enough space of time. really if you're trying to put it together real fast because i was doing i'd be lucky if i got one middle a month um at level four and everything else was assisting and i think i probably am a better referee than i am assistant um so you know that was difficult because i I, you can't find a stride and then you're getting assessed like a lot has to go your way and michael oliver would have had a lot behind him like a lot of support from whatever county fa he has and rightly so and then the other thing you have to ask yourself is are you a michael oliver are you a howard webb like these people are one one in you know probably one in a hundred in terms of referees like they're that good i'd I'd probably say more than like one in Five thousand to be put yeah on potentially, um, so you know you really have to ask yourself. You might be very very good, and I know some amazing referees that aren't even on you know aren't on the A League, aren't on 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 the EFL, just because there's that much working against them. It is difficult, like the yeah. commitment alone, like like finding like balancing your job and balancing the commitment you need to referee in in order to make it an elite career. Is difficult as well. Like you, you, you could be driving five hours a day just for an hour and a half of football. But um, but uh, again, another good question. I, I, those are all the questions I had from the post bag because mm. we, although we had some other questions, some of them sort of are more relevant when we deal with the law that they um, apply to. So I've obviously haven't dealt with everything we've had in in the last couple of weeks. But were there any other questions you wanted to deal with today? No, no. I'm, I, you pulled out all the ones I pulled out, so that's wonderful. Cool. So. Um, let's move on to law number nine, the ball in and out of play. Um, and I don't know, I think I say this, I see this is every week, but I think this is the shortest, the dullest, shortest, well, shortest, dullest. Um, the only thing that's of interest that's come out of this law is what happened as I said, in the Japan Spain game, which will come back to the listener question yes. at the moment, but which is good, um, actually, it's good. We've got that example. 
Yeah, no. So that for those people who don't remember, I think we put it on our socials, but this is where um, the Japanese um, player, it looked from all the various camera angles and still images that the ball appeared to cross the line. The actual ball was in contact with the ground, wasn't in contact with the line. Player crosses it back, goal is scored. And there was... Wasn't, a it, the goal, del- wasn't it the goal that knocked Spain out as well? Or am I no, wrong it, knocked Ger- it knocked Germany out. Right, okay, That's cool. What, that was the consequence of that result but um and there was a huge uproar about it because everyone everyone's saying oh it's very very suspicious they haven't produced any of the var images blah 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 well in fact i didn't realize this but the, the microchip technology they've been using to improve the uh offside law mm. um is not used in in active play for anything else right, right. so they couldn't look at it that you know the goal line technology just relates to the goal mouth so mm-hmm. they couldn't look at that technology so the images looked when you first saw them as though the ball had gone out of play. And it's it's actually really good because ball out of play law says that a ball is out of play when it has wholly passed over the goal line or touch line uh, on the ground or in the air. Right. Yes. That's the that's the first part. Now, the people have tried to recreate this from above um, with sort of camera angles. And the bottom line is a tiny slice of the ball was Wasn't over, over the, the line. touch line and therefore a bit of an optical illusion because it looked as though it was out of play. In fact, the whole of the ball was not out of play. And What's more yeah. impressive about that decision, what's most impressive about that decision is the fact the assistant and the referee didn't believe it was out of play. Yeah. Because it's no, on the no. opposite side of the assistant. So the assistant's yeah. looking through, he's looking the through goal the goal posts. Right, to and see nets. that, which is not impossible. And, you, you know, as an assistant, you're working on instinct in those situations and you just have to basically just pray you've got it right. Um, yeah. And I would say if I saw that much of the ball out of play, I'd likely probably put my flag up. Um, so the fact the assistant did it just goes to show how bloody amazing these elite referees are. And the referee as well, trusting his assistant to give that decision. And interesting, I think VR looked at it and said that they couldn't find a single camera angle that showed it was out of play. Mm. So stayed with the on-field um, decision because it wasn't a clear and obvious error. But um, I thought it was, it was really interesting because when you look at the photograph, that photograph is very impactful because the ball is touching the ground, but it's gone past the touchline. And instinctively, you think to yourself, it's got out of play. Um, mm. But it hasn't, as yep. you know, the first part of the... Lorado Place says. And um, so I think that was um, Scott who sort of sent us a question uh, about that as to, you know, what our views were about that. Um, so that law answers that. The next part about ball out of play says, ball's out of play when the ball's been stopped, play's been stopped by the referee, obviously. <laughs> and then it says, the ball is out of play when it touches a match official, remains on the field of play, and a team then starts a promising attack or the ball goes directly into the goal, or the team in possession, the ball changes. And so that is when it becomes out of play. And in those cases, it's restarted with a drop ball. And, um, that, and that's a change, because when the ball used to hit the referee, you used to have to, it was part of the game. Yeah, exactly. And you'd have to sort of embarrassingly apologise and um, oh, play with continue. Have you had a really bad one of those? I don't think I've ever had a really bad one. I, I think I've been quite fortunate, have you? Oh, I had, I had one. I had one flick off my shoulder and just oh. fought the path of an attacker and he scored a goal. <laughs> and they were not happy. 
Yeah. That's, that's... Scored, we're very happy. And for the next, like, 60 minutes of the game, all I had was, bloody hell, it's 12 versus 11. While you were yeah, sitting yeah. their goals, like, non-stop. This was in my very early days. But that's also a massive key point on, like, referee positioning like I was so like new and naive I didn't really know where to stand and that's why the ball hit me and so um and that's often the case whenever the ball hits referee it's it's always a positioning issue not always that's not fair because sometimes you get players who just choose the wrong ball and you're like why have you played that into me it was just not the pass um but yeah so but most of the time it's your positioning is is the issue if you're getting hit by the ball a lot so if you are getting hit by the ball a lot or you feel like you're constantly ducking and diving out of the way of the ball yeah um, you're doing something wrong you definitely need to sit down and look at like your your flight paths as it were on the pitch think, and, and think about where you need to be in different phases of play and why i think that's why there's a real benefit to you know, former players being ref, you know, referees because mm. you 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 read the game, I think, a bit Different better. Way. Yeah, and you you understand sort of what the obvious routes are going to be when a player gets the ball. So I I find that I generally, you know, I hardly ever find myself sort of in the line of play. I mean, sometimes it happens, and sometimes well, that's that's happens. because that's because play generally on the football pitch doesn't happen much in the centre circle. So you're generally going to be safe there, isn't it, Ed? You saw the heat map. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> the heat map tells the story. The heat map never lies. Never lies. Exactly. Um, so that's the first, that's part one of um, the law of play. Part two of the law of play, which is even shorter, um, simply says this. It says um, the ball is in play at all other times when it touches the match official. And when it rebounds off a goalpost, crossbar, corner flag post, and remains on the field of play, which is a point worth you know reminding yourself about because the flag post um, especially, yeah, it's flag post especially, but also you know we talked about when it touches a match official, um, it's only in those three scenarios where you have to give the drop ball. So it's not always a drop ball when that happens. So you just need to remember that it's when it's a team starting a promising attack, going into the goal, or possession changes. So merely touching you and the team had possession, keeps possession, that's a play on situation. That's interesting. I would also say very like, like that is a situation. If that is occurring in your game, there is something wrong with where you are standing on the field of play. Like the ball should only be hitting you in the middle of a promising attack, really. I know it's annoying, yes. but that's when it generally would hit you because you're you should be slightly ahead of play. You should be running on the diagonal. And chances are the ball is being pinged out to the wing or something. Like if if it's in possession of a defender and the ball somehow hits you in that situation, um, what are you standing there for? Like Although, what are you doing? I think that it's a point worth making that um, when you talk about running on the diagonal, that may not be apparent to every person listening as to what you're talking about. No, of course, which we can and get into, we can get into yeah. when it comes to because that's on in the back part of the um, laws. Um, like positioning for referees and stuff. And that'll exactly. be that'll be a hard podcast to do because it's quite a visual thing. But um with but the, the point the point is if if you've if you've got assistance, then you you're in essence relying upon your assistance to have a good view of a, that part of the pitch, which means you can run a diagonal from corner from. to corner where there's no assistance. Your sound just keeps cutting out, by the way. I don't know whether it's your Does Wi-Fi it? or whether you moved your mic or but you keep just dropping out for like a nanosecond whilst okay. you're talking. 
I have no that idea what that just, would be. Might just be the net, but anyway. Cool. Uh, but yeah, so we, we can talk about that again, though, when we come to, um, you know, position on the play, on the field of play, because that was, that was something it, I didn't know about, because I'd only ever had sort of either no assistance or club assistance or, yeah, so it was only when I sort of started doing bigger and better games that I had people on the line for me. And if you want, like, something you can just apply immediately tomorrow in your games in relation to that is try and keep the ball between you and your assistant at all times. Yeah, that's not good. And that's, that, that will naturally get you onto a diagonal that's appropriate for play. And, and generally, that's a good rule that will help you. So that, Adam, is law number nine. Perfect. Um, there's not, not much to it, um, but it was relevant with the Japan game. Um, do you know what law number 10 is? Uh, yes. It is determining the outcome of a match. Why are you looking down at that point and seemingly oh, scrolling oh, with your fingers? Little, there was a spider just running across the floor. <laughs> I wanted to check it wasn't going to kill me. Um, there's, there's not a huge amount to law number 10, is there? So that's even better reason for people to keep sending in their questions. Uh, messages and questions and the like. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's law number nine. Nice. So, that was nice and straightforward, wasn't it? It was nice and straightforward. All, all that leads us, Adam, is to deal with some fun facts. Cue jingle. It's now time for Ed's Fun Facts. So, um, obviously, trying to find fun facts about the ball and out of play is um, not easy. So well, we might have uh, dealt with the only sort of fun fact there would have been, which would have been the Japanese one, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah. it's just, I could have talked about sort of the, the 1966 oh. World Cup game or Actually, the Frank Lampard game against Germany. Oh, golly. That's more determining the outcome of that. Anyway, um, can I just also say, if you're an assistant referee and the ball comes towards you and you're on the touchline, don't touch the ball. Don't oh, no. kick the ball. Don't keep the ball in play. Just let it go out of play completely. Just don't touch the ball at all. Don't go and get yeah. the ball. Don't do anything with the ball because you'll do it at the wrong time and it will cause havoc. So if you are an assistant and you kind of feel like the ball's rolling towards you and you touch it and you think it's okay, let it go. Just don't get into the habit of doing that because it can severely affect the ball in and out of play. Because if you do it and it doesn't fully exit play, then where are we at? Like just let the game be the game because it affects the way players react. And that's yeah. the issue. Sorry. So it's um, detracting from my fun facts. I'm like sorry. Say, okay. How this dare is, this I? is my moment. How exactly. dare I? So um, what I've got is a few different little fun facts, which again, allow you to have a few guesses, allow the listeners to have a few guesses as they're listening in their cars or on their dog walks. And then I've got some interesting facts about Pele as well. Cause I thought, you know, yeah, why not? Um, mentioned him again this evening. So, um, now, interestingly, what year was it? I know you love these what year questions. Oh. There's, there's a few of them this evening. Oh, great. What, what year was it that the, um, the back pass rule got introduced? And by that, mm. I mean, so listeners understand, so that when a player kicks the ball back to the keeper now, he can't the keeper pick can't up. pick it up. So when do you think it was? That 1988. Very close. Oh, really? Very close. Yeah, it was very close. 
And you're and you're quite good at these because you normally say it was it's a reaction to European Championship yeah, or a World correct. Cup, yeah. So in fact, it was 1992, which is longer ago than I remembered it. So being. that would have been the 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 Denmark win in the Euros. I don't know what it was, but it's mm. that's what 30 years ago. Which I mean, I I thought this is something that's happened in the last 10 years. It was 30 years old that law, and the reason for it was was that um, the 1990 World Cup had the least number of goals scored um, per game um, than any previous ones. And what was happening was, was that people were exploiting this law. So if you wanted to kill a bit of time, players would just pass the ball back to their keeper. The keeper would pick it up, he'd get his six stroke, 10, 12 seconds to kick the ball out. Depending whether I'm refereeing or not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Depends on the Gold Coast and Adams involved, in which case it's a sort of different laws. Um, but so... Yeah, so it's interesting. But and as a consequence of that, I think prior to Qatar, um, that the, I saw an article which said that the to demonstrate how it made play much more offensive rather than defensive, there was an average of um, I think 0.5 extra goals per match as a consequence of that rule being introduced. So it also has had an impact. They are trying um, to skew the game, aren't they, to more attackive play? Yeah, which I think is probably a, a good thing. Well, we want to see goals, um, don't we? What year do you think it was Adam that they introduced the law to stop a goalkeeper being able to handle the ball outside the goal area what apparently yeah I know what are you kidding me this is news to me well Well, that must be like honestly like 1896 that was 1912 Oh, that's pretty good. That. It must have been early, yeah. Like goalkeepers, so goalkeepers would have... just come out, pick it up, and it's do not whatever rugby. Like. Well, um, and a couple more little dates for law changes. When did the offside law change so that the number of players needed to keep a player onside was reduced from three to mm. two players? What second last defender? Um... Well, it's in fact no, it's two. It's two players. It's not. It's not a goalkeeper and it's two players. No, yeah, second last defender. Yeah. Um. um I'm going to go 1970-ish. No, much much earlier than that. Oh, 1925 okay. that happened. Right. And then final question about laws and when they were introduced. Uh, when was law introduced which said that it, you couldn't be offside from a throw-in? Couldn't be offside from a throw-in. That would be 1984. No, that you're wildly out. 1920. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> 1920. Well, there's no rhyme or reason to these, is there? Like, it's an impossible <laughs> guessing game, isn't it? Well, not if you know your football facts, Adam. Like well, many of our listeners you didn't do. know them before you researched them. I didn't have to research these. This is just oh, from really? my... This is, this my, is, this this is, is from brain, my memory. This is of, the brain of Connell. Footballing facts that I store when I'm reading articles on a daily basis. When you're flicking through your Panini sticker book. (laughs) Now, we know the answer to this one because you said it once before, but um, true or false, touchlines on football pitches must be white. It's true. Oh, goodness me. That's false. (laughs) I tried to tee you up with one. (laughs) (laughs) I knew I'd get it wrong. No, no, no. My preference is that they're white because have you ever tried refereeing on a pitch where they're blue? But you told us that you refereed on some pitches. That's why I thought you'd get the answer. Well, I just thought the clubs were 
and I wasn't going to stop the game for it, but they should be white. They should be white. I, yeah, I, it annoys me that's not a law. There's nothing in the laws of the game to say I know, that the term is the colour. I know. Yeah. I do know that. Um, and then a little bit something about football pitches. Um, are Premiership football pitches, this is a true or false again? Adam. This isn't really Ed's fun facts, is it? It's how stupid is Adam? Well, that's that's fun for everyone. <laughs> facts which are deemed to make fun of Adam should be the category. <laughs> I need to change that's the jingle, jingle, don't I? Exactly. <laughs> um, are Premiership football pitches 100% grass? True or false? True. No. False, oh. Adam. Wait, false. I didn't think they were allowed 4G pictures in the Premiership. No, you there there is artificial But they're fiber. synthetic. Yeah, I know that. Exactly. Yeah. In I think all the Premiership mm-hmm. pictures yeah. have That's why they're so green. I couldn't find I tell you what I thought about this. I was at Brentford Football Club recently for a community trust football event where oh. I met their manager by the way. He was lovely. lovely. Who and is the manager? I, it's Thomas um, Frank. Really nice guy. Really lovely. Um, but anyway, I was touchline at the um, stadium, and you can look when you look up close. You can see that it, you know, it looks slightly sort of the colours slightly off from what you'd expect from just natural grass, mm. and that is because um, it, they're hybrid pitches. They have material woven in, so they they insert fibres twenty centimetres below the surface of the pitch. And as the grass grows, they intertwine with the fibres. And something in the... I, I couldn't find an official figure for what the maximum is. But um, Wembley, for example, um, what percentage... Well, I'll ask you, what percentage of the Wembley pitch do you think is made up of artificial fibre? 60. No. Okay. Um, it's 3%. Right. And I think... That's not I a lot. Think, I've refereed no. on a... On, I've re- not refereed on the Wembley pitch, but I've refereed on a Wembley pitch replica. Yeah, St George's Park, presumably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been there too, Adam. Don't worry. I didn't know. I, I just, I was going to say, I didn't notice it was synthetic. <laughs> it was just like a patch of grass, as far as I was concerned. I, I wasn't refereeing there. We were, we were hosting a final there, which is very nice. But um, so yeah, three percent at Wembley. And um, how many fibres on it? Let's say on a pitch like Wembley, how many fibres, artificial fibres, do you think there are on a football pitch? Oh. Like in the twenty thousands, like a lot. Well, your your latter part of your answer is correct. A lot. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, um, I, 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 I I love football. I love refereeing, right? But I've not actually counted the amount of blades of grass on a pitch. Well, you 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 take a while because there are twenty million artificial fibers, millions, million wow. of them, on a pitch where it's only sort of three to five percent of the pitch. I got the twenty right. Um, two more, two more questions about pitches, and then I can do you a few facts about Pele. Um, cool. Maximum height of grass allowed in the Premiership, Adam. It's a Premiership rule, so it's not a, it's not a mm. law of football rule. It's a Premiership rule. I reckon it's probably like two millimeters. Two no, more than that. Let's say a centimeter. No, so less it, than that. It, Oh, I don't know. A centimetre. I'll go with a centimetre. <laughs> centimetre is very short, Adam. Centimetre is sort of... Centimetre is like I'm really tiny. bad with lengths. I'm really bad with lengths. All right, then I'll go... I'll double it. Two centimetres. 
Well, that's that's closer. So the yeah. the maximum is is thirty millimeters or three centimeters. Okay, so wow, that's, that's the maximum. Yeah. That. That's the maximum. Most though in the prem have their pitches cut to about twenty to twenty two millimeters. That's sort of yeah. the norm. Yeah, because they want um, the ball to zip along, right? Exactly. And final final pitch question: How many miles do you think the Wembley lawnmower has to travel to cut the Wembley turf? How many miles? Yeah, mm, four. No, it's a lot. Ten miles. Ten. The mower has to travel ten miles to cut the entire to the Wembley pitch. Why is that? Because they don't store it at Wembley. No, no. <laughs> 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 that was a joke, Ed. Oh, crikey. <laughs> well, to be honest, I thought it was just one of your completely wider than mark guesses. <laughs> Thanks. You're welcome. Um, anyway, let me give you some fun facts about Pele. I don't, I'm not going to, I, I mean, I'll, I'll let you guess a few if you want, but I thought just to remind us what a phenomenal player he was, he scored 1,284 first class goals in football. Wow. Um, 77 for Brazil, which is pretty phenomenal. Yeah. Um, he made his debut in professional football age 15 for Santos Football Club and playing against Corinthians. And on his debut age 15, he scored, scored a hat-trick. four goals. Wow. Four goals. On he became the youngest World Cup winner at age 17 in 1956 when the final against Sweden, he scored two goals. Um Santos Football Club, his first club, called November the 19th Pele Day. And they do that because that was the day in which he scored his thousandth career goal. Oh, that's nice. Did he stay at Santos his whole career, did he? No, I didn't. Well, I don't know. I still don't answer. Okay. Um, He's he's appeared in two films, Adam. Mm. A cameo in one film and an acting role in another film. Do you know what they were? Uh, The Godfather? No. Um, Escape to Victory. Okay. And, and when Saturday comes, no, he, not far off. He has a okay. he has a cameo role in um, Mike Bassett, Football Manager. Yeah, that don't surprise me. Yeah. Where he was being interviewed, I think, by um, Bashir about prospects of England winning a World Cup. Right, he did a cameo in that. Um, what medicinal product did he advertise in two thousand and five, which people say led to a breakdown of the taboo of the medicine that he was advertising? Is it something to do? No, it wouldn't be. You know, I don't know. I, I was going to say maybe something to do with HIV, but I highly doubt that. It was Viagra. Oh, he okay. Right. It was Viagra. Mm-hmm. Um, what increase did he bring about in the US crowds? When he played in the US for between 75 and 77, when he played for New York Cosmos, Right. what increase in football attendances did the professional football scene undergo in those two seasons? I mean, it went from a fairly low figure, but... Probably 30%. 80% increase. Wow. I mean, now, the where do you... Go on, sorry, quickly. The average attendance was only sort of 7,600, but it went up to yeah, right. 13,500 wow. in the two years that he was there. I mean, it's pretty phenomenal, isn't it? Where do you stand on this? Pele, Messi, Maradona, Well, I, I, feel, I feel a bit bad talking about this sort of on the day that the guys died. Listen, there's no dispute at all. Pele is you know, one of the best football players the world has ever seen. There's no doubt about that at all. I, I'm more, obviously slightly more biased because I never saw Pele play. I right. have had the the um, opportunity, privilege. yeah, privilege to see Messi and Ronaldo play. Mm. For me, 
Messi is the best player that's ever played. I mean, right, I think okay. I just think he is just the the most gifted footballer. But I, I suspect people that sort of lived through Pele's football era might say the same thing about him. I mean, it's mm. it. But I mean, listen. The bottom line is Pele, Messi, Messi, two of the two of the yeah. greatest football players. I mean, I, the way I look at it is, you don't get Messi without Pele, and therefore Pele yeah. tops the order. Um, that's the way I see it. And then I think Messi Messi now wins the battle against Ronaldo. And then oh, I yeah, think Maradona I think... probably falls in behind. Um, I think probably is where I would sit. I, I always think with all these things, like when you talk about, you know, the greatest bands of all time, like you don't get those bands without Elvis and the Beatles. Like they have to be right, really high up on those lists um, because you should always go to the, like to pave the way is, is much harder and football's a lot easier now than it was in the 60s and the 50s. So, like, to score goals, it's much better skewed towards, you know, positive play and stuff like that. Like, for Pele to do what he did in the context of the era in which he did it, I think you have to take that into account as well. And I'm just going to finish off with some final stats about Pele. Um, he scored three or more goals in 129 matches. Uh, I, um, he he scored, he scored he scored 129 hat tricks or more. Yeah. Or wow. More. Yeah. That's he also um, most goals he ever scored in a game with his head was four. He scored four headers in one goal. But the last stat is this: he, he had scored, a headache that day. He scored uh, um, 92 hat tricks, um, four goals on 31 occasions. Five goals on six occasions, and his greatest tour was a match where he scored eight goals in professional wow. football. There we go. What an absolute legend Pele is. So there we go. Tribute to Pele on the very sad day that he's died. And that is mm. all of my fun facts, Adam. That's there we it. go. That's the lot. All hail Pele. Yes. Fantastic. That's awesome. Well, that's I suppose that's the end of the episode. End the episode. Uh, end of twenty twenty two. Oh, training's um, training's going well. I'm swimming well. I'm running well. I'm hoping I'll pass. I've got seventeen, eighteen, nineteen days. Cool. Well, so that'll be interesting. Uh, I'll keep good you updated. Training. Thanks. I've got I got a a new um, refereeing watch for my Christmas, which I was oh, lovely. About. Well, we've got a question that we're going to get to soon, haven't we? About, about equipment. equipment. So we'll yeah. cover that maybe next week. We will, because I also want to talk about the tech that I use when I referee as well, because that's another yes. interesting topic of conversation. It is, but other than which that, we disagree on. Perfect. Well, thank you for listening. You have a lovely week, um, Edward. You too. And um, like I said at the outset, please do get in touch with us. Give us a review, um, especially if it's a five-star one. If you don't like the podcast, send us a personal email and tell us why we're trying to do something about it and yeah keep, like on sending, keep on sending in your messages because uh, we love to hear from you and we really, there we really go. do it really does light us up when we get you know questions and messages and comments and discussion it really does cheer us up a lot so thank you it does yeah so that's right. it have Au a lovely week adam you Take too care. my friend happy new year bye. happy new year happy everyone bye bye Thank you for making it to the end of another episode of Red or Yellow. You're clearly a very fit listener. May I gently remind you to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Tell all your friends. And don't forget to please share it with any colleagues or refereeing groups that you may have. Good luck on the fields out there this week. And if you have any questions, please send them in to us. 
Voice notes can be sent to redoryellowpod at gmail.com or you can contact us on social media. It's at redoryellowpod. Have the most wonderful day. Thank you so much for listening. Ciao, ciao.